Today on the program, we have Ryan Bowles from Digital Video Group, who comes on to talk about equipment and technology. If you're part of a big organization that wants to invest in some equipment, well, what should you think about before you install that studio in your office space? Also, for the individual, what should you think about before you buy that camera system? What equipment is going to get you the most out of your money? This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening. My father was in the engineering side of the call, a call letter TV station in um, Richmond, Virginia. So high school, it was, hey, go get a job. And uh, when I didn't, wasn't successful with that, and he's like, hey, you come over to the station, we have work for you, you know, pull cables, clean coffee stains, that sort of thing. So uh, it's it's one of those classic stories of where the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. How old uh, were you at that point? Mm, Sixteen. I mean, it, it was a career for him. He's retired now, so he. Um, it's funny. I just uh, went to a retirement party for one of the guys that worked for him, and he uh, he looked at me. and was like, "Man, it's come, we've come a long way. I, I was in the waiting room when you were born, sort of deal. It's you know been in in my blood for lack of a better term." I went to George Mason University uh, in 2000, uh, went into the School of Management. My initial intent was to uh, you know, be a business major, uh, studied uh, decision sciences or what's basically today statistics. And uh, upon leaving there, I had been taking on more and more jobs. Uh, I still went back to the TV station, worked in the summers. I came up through that world, uh, engineering, learned quite a bit of sales. Uh, spent a little time with news folks as well. How long did you work there, and, and how did you get integrated then into uh, video production sales or uh, to DVG? I sold TV advertising for a little while. It, you, you're still in the biz in, in a way that, you, you know, your primary customer is uh, media production facilities, uh, advertising agencies, that sort of thing that produce spots for, you know, all kinds of customers. It, it was a mix of... Not wanting to necessarily be in that type of sales environment anymore. It's high. It's kind of high pressure. So I wanted to go back to school, and I went back to George Mason again and got my master's. And my intent at that point was much more focused. I was going for my MBA to leave then and come back into the management of a broadcast station or a broadcast station group. What was your What was your target though? Did you have a job or somebody that? that you looked at in the industry and said, that's something that I would like to do? It started before this and actually uh, it's still going on today. Uh, you can read major national headline news about acquisitions. The most recent one is, uh, I forget exactly the details, but basically Media General and Nexstar. And this was a, a struggle I had in my mind when I was leaving grad school, which was all I knew was call letters, TV station, broadcast stuff. And I'm seeing this market and industry start on the decline from a fundamental business analytics approach. So why jump in, you know? But we also know content is becoming king. Uh, it's Maybe call letter stations are doing a little bit less and less. People don't watch local news as much. Uh, or, you know, we're not just watching the NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox Networks. We're watching online. We're watching on our mobile devices. We're watching. So content in itself media production is, is massively growing. It's interesting because you say that because there's been a couple cases on the podcast where people have talked about that, the idea that the jobs are basically leaving the traditional news outlets and moving in a big way to um, 
you know, non big nonprofit organizations that are for the first time building a studio and hiring three media professionals. So, uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit later as well um, with with what that means for this growing business and how do you reconcile or what do you need for a business? Um, uh, what kind of equipment? What kind of personnel do you need? But what if you could just talk about your now day to day job with DVG Digital Video Group and what they do and how how they work with organizations. I'm a sales representative for uh, Digital Video Group. We are broadcast, uh, we deal in professional broadcast equipment, sales, integration, design, engineering, you know, support, what have you. By nature of working with manufacturers like Sony, Panasonic, uh, JVC, Canon, they make broadcast cameras. They make digital cinema style cameras. They make, you know, cameras for AV. So you start learning all the different nuances of the types of cameras and the type of gear that is used for, I always refer back to their, their tools in a tool, toolbox. You know, people ask me all the time, well, why, why can't I just go with this camera for this application? My job is to make sure I'm matching you up with those things. So there was a lot for me to learn in those first couple of years. Uh, as, as much as I knew from working with the stuff for eight years. What it really boils down to is needing to talk with the customer who, are they trying to build a studio for uh, an organization they work for that has a president that just wants to come down once a month and make a president's message? Is it a local county government that uh, has a requirement to send out their signal or their, their local boardroom meetings to the constituents? You know, How do we do that in a live environment? Um, is it a broadcast station? Is it strictly a media production facility that does everything offline and in post? Nothing's live. And then when you understand their needs, you can help best match up the workflows. Workflows is just the trigger word for us that best match their needs. And, and my goal is to, to make their life easier. It's interesting because, especially for the audience of this podcast, uh, there may there may be some some people that work at companies that are, you know that are interested in in building out a studio and I talk to people all the time about it and, and th- there's a lot of push for that. But what about individuals and individual producers or people that are coming out of college that want to get their starter camera? Uh, I know you don't necessarily deal in in consumer a lot of consumer products, but what would be the the thought process that you would take somebody through to make that decision? You don't have to go expensive. And there's no one right way of doing things, but what's the video content quality I'm looking for? Am I going out to YouTube? You don't need high-end cameras to go out to YouTube. You know, your typical display is 24 inches, 27 inches or less in a computer world environment, which has a lot of viewership. You want to be always, but you can't be everything to everyone. So uh, if you can isolate that to some degree, you can also, you know, dictate the type of content you're putting out. It's hard to manage the quality of, you know, 15 different flavors of things. Well, that's something I say in class all the time is, is you know, we, we have a basic uh, field production class. It's a six-week course. You know, some people come in and, and have never picked up a camera before. Some people have some experience. And then you get to the question of, of going through the menu options and certain on our cameras you have you know 1080 720 and then you have some different frame rates that you can select and and progressive versus interlace and and people get so their eyes just glaze over immediately when i start talking about this all legacy broadcasters are gonna 
argue about whether 720p is more advantageous than 1080i. You know, this was something that's been going back since the late 90s. It's irrelevant to the, the, the guy getting into it today. Um, I do believe in a couple principles. Understand that there's optics on the way in and how an iris works and, and lensing, how video is acquired into the device and how it's outputted to the device. And I think that will give you a better appreciation for what you're looking at when you do go select uh, a camera. I, I get asked all the time, do you like a Sony this versus a Panasonic that? I, I have no good answer for you. And I, and I try and explain to people, too, that the idea behind a camera and the idea behind the different costs of a camera, and this took a long time for me to learn, too, is that the form factor or the buttons that are placed in certain areas may end up costing another five to $10,000 because of the engineering time that it took to build that box. It's not the image quality that you're getting is X amount better. When you start talking about thousands of dollars more, you can start really getting some, some better image quality. But the, the range in which you're working, you're really talking about, if you have a budget range, you're really talking about features and maybe stretching that image quality 10%. Would you agree with that? Or? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's important to think about the battery usage. How is it recording media? How do I keep my camera powered on to capture what I want to capture? And as you build up in cost of camera, a lot of those things are kind of thought about. They're not cheap, but you know that's kind of what people start to pay for. Switching gears a little bit, I'd like to talk about personnel or the, the, the people that are working these types of of um, studios or the type of equipment that you're installing. And the analogy that I think about is a friend of mine uh, back in high school went to Africa, to Tanzania, one of the poorest areas in Africa, on a trip to build a, an, a small hospital in a village. And they spent three weeks there building it out of stone, a whole group of young people. And at the end, they were kind of really disappointed because they found out that there was actually no money to actually run the hospital. So there was there was this structure that was just going to live and be empty and not useful. Um, using translating that analogy to um, people that are that are installing and building certain equipment, what do you say to them or or how do you communicate about what they might need to to run a facility once it's built? It's it's fortunate that we're in this industry cuz to some degree it's very cool, it's edgy. It's attractive, um, you know, and, and what that means is that oftentimes people can want to get into media production because it's fun. What that generates is a youthful interest. And what I would say to some of these new organizations building a studio, you need to invest in the human resources aspect. This is an also, can also be a very much an industry we work in that is learn on the job. Uh, um, that, that was true for myself, despite the investments in two educations. I mean, a lot of what I have to deal with on uh, a day-to-day basis is literally what I've learned on the job and, and that sort of thing. So it, I was at a uh, live sound recording seminar, training seminar for, for dealers just uh, last week. The guy was you know, going over some of their new product. But he made a very interesting point just about audio guys, which is a world I never really deal in or never did. But I've been to a lot of shows, a lot of concerts, and you always see them there. Everybody that goes to a live show performance is there to see the band and the entertainers. Behind the scenes, 
my thought is it's it's a really wonderful thing as much as I love music I, I'm there to see them too but if that crowd generally knew the level of education level level of knowledge that that audio guy has to have instilled in his system to make them sound as good as they are I think people would really have uh, you know if you could just be a fly on the wall for 10 minutes to hear about the type of information he's processing during a live event the people would be blown away at at, at, at how talented these people are, right? And that, that's often forgot. I mean, the, the joke he made was, you know, I started out in this, you know, basically doing live shows at little clubs in LA back in the 70s. And he goes, you know, I got paid a hundred bucks a night. I didn't think it was much then, but I know guys that still do that today. And they're, you know what their pay is here, 30, 40 years down the road, hundred bucks a night. But in the same breath, he's educating us on a live sound board that has 64 aux mix buses and I'm like well, there's only eight sliders on that audio board how do you have 64 of anything there's not 64 buttons on there and you know you have to have somebody that has the knowledge to make the snare drum sound good and the big kick drum sound good and the you know the mids from this you know one of the guitars the lead guitar versus the vocal so there's i mean this guy's processing a ton of and then how many speakers do you have because how, how big is the venue and all of that stuff and not just what the audience is hearing even more importantly to them is what the band is hearing because if that gets blown out of proportion they're the first ones to you know be very upset about it so translating that into a broadcast studio it's 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 you know it's the same thing you know you can't it's not just magic right it's not a black box being able to explain to whether it's money people or heads of a company hey we want our messaging out there okay good you also probably are fine with putting content creators like uh idea folks behind that messaging how to get that messaging from the idea to the distributed point is in a black box one of the first things we always approach in a new opportunity is, hey, we want to build a studio. Do you have an engineer on staff? Do you have somebody that knows how to operate the production switcher? You know, sometimes that, that concept gets lost that we often hear today, whether it's in, even in the in the professionals in the broadcast stations where they have journalists go out. They're not just journalists anymore. They shoot their video. They get their video back. They're handling their cues, they're doing their edit, editing their own packages. You're kind of one man banding it. it. It's you have to find people that are tactful in all of these little areas to get, you know, to utilize the resources. We also hear all the time, well, we want this uh, three camera production facility, but we got we want a one man bandit. Well, in a typical production facility, you have a, a switcher operator, an audio guy, a producer, a graphics person, potentially a paint and sh a camera paint and shading operating position, an engineer. I mean, we're six full-time salaried professionals, so we want to make that one person. It, we can do it. I mean, there's the technology, there's various outlets of technology that allow us to do that to some degree today, but as in all things, it's it's a give and take. You, you, and then you have to sacrifice something. I do a lot of that myself, one man banding it, <laughs> and, I, and I rely on the client either whether it's, uh, you know, shooting an interview or, and sometimes people ask me to, to conduct the interview as well, even though I'm running the audio and running the camera. But what I find is that I, you have to find somebody else to, to at least do the interview. And then if I'm doing anything else, or if they want to add a second camera as a wide shot or a close up shot, 
um, I have to focus so intensely on it to not make a mistake. And what happens is you throw a PowerPoint presentation in on that. It's very likely that I'll mess up. Yeah. So that, that I hear what you're saying because yeah, in a perfect scenario with no hiccups, yes, one person definitely can run with a lot of the integrated technology that exists, but it's not ideal. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It, it, It takes a lot of talent. Right. And, and, and unfor- like the men- you were mentioning the, the audio person. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it, you're, you're juggling a lot of sticks. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's often looked at as this, this, this component of media production is looked at as a cost center and not a profit center for whatever the organization is. And uh, maybe I don't maybe mean that as sure monetary to terms. But what what I mean is they don't necessarily understand that what those roles that person is creating, they, they can't tag up a, a value to it, which makes it difficult. It makes it difficult for them to go, well, how much do I pay this person? Or, you know, because sometimes the only time they see them working is during a live event. That might only be in some organizations four times a year. Might only be two times a year. Might be every day. We don't know. So that gets into a lot of things. So, you know, when you talk to a client, and, and I'm talking to them about equipment and systems and integration, and you know, representing you know manufacturers as a partner and that sort of thing. It's it's more difficult for me to suggest to them. Okay, do you lease? Do you um, hire freelance? Because you know, you maybe you have three times a year that you're going to use this stuff. You know, you lease it and then freelance. Or do you contract a production company to bring in? Do you rent equipment versus buy equipment? I, I have certainly advised certain organizations say, hey, you know, you're probably better off renting this camera than buying it from me. In contrast to a studio or to a, a mobile fly pack, for example, um, if someone's just shooting a simple setup of, of an interview or doing a simple podcast, which is very popular right now, they could still hypothetically use their phone with a couple of lavalier mics off of Amazon and things like that. Um, but what I find is they still they're still missing a couple steps. They still even with a phone, they still need somebody to come in in terms of personnel to to polish it and finish it and and put it up. Right. So with with that idea, do you ever get into uh, the question of the content itself? Because you were saying. You know, sometimes it's only going to be four times a year that they're going to use this equipment. There is a lot of potential, and and we talk a lot about this in the podcast, is expectations. So are you competing with NBC to do your chat show? Or do you have unique enough content and a built-in audience that's going to it craves the content enough that it doesn't matter really what you don't need high-end quality to be able to put out your message because your audience is already going to digest it no matter what. Right. Um, and I, I tell this story all the time of I did this video for a retired horse trainer's uh, symposium, and it was a five-hour symposium, and I shot it with one camera. I tried to get him to do two cameras. He wouldn't do two cameras. And I was like, all right, um, it's going to be pretty rough with one camera, and I'm following you around a racetrack, and you're talking on a wireless mic. And then after the show, I said, you know, we have to cut this down because no one's going to watch five hours of content. And he said, no, put it on two DVDs. I'm selling the DVDs. And I said, okay. He ended up selling DVDs because there was no other content like that out there. That training existed by itself. 
and people were hungry for it. Given that, do you do you consult at all with the type of content that the people are going to be creating? God, it reminds me of a funny uh, Family Guy where they do a cut over to. A, 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 they're kind of joking on a British sitcom where they said, you know, now to condensation. And they're sitting there and it's, you know, drab and the colors are neutral tone and there's condensation. Um, <laughs> so it's tough to advise anybody on specific content. Again, it kind of goes to what are you trying to get across? This, this example of the story you gave me about the person who did the horse thing. I mean, that's somebody who was knew exactly what, who he was trying to get out to. And, uh, and maybe, uh, it was just more strictly informational for him. I mean, he probably wasn't looking to be the next multi-millionaire millionaire off of this, but he could probably supplant some costs and, and do something that was important to him at the same time. Based on your experience, is there a new technology and there's a lot out there that's coming that you think people that will be adopted, um, that you think will will kind of change the game a little bit. There's a lot of new technology. And the answer could be no. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 you know, I'll, I'm I'm going to do my best to you know not be as you know kind of wordy because somebody just asked me earlier today. Uh, NAB is the National Association of Broadcasters, but they have a big event once a year called NAB out in Las Vegas. It's our it's our industry trade show. And, um, you know, everybody's out there. It's new and announcements of technology. And, and my customer said, you know, hey, are you going out to NAB? What, what's, what are you looking at? What's new? It, it kind of, again, goes to depending on what world you're living in within uh, what we're doing. Uh, some people are very interested in 4K. You know, oh, 4K is, you know, new resolutions, higher resolutions. And I think today people are grasping that idea that something can be cleaner, crisper, look better. <clears throat> Because in the transition from SD to HD, I mean, it took a decade because people were like, it's color TV. How does it get any better than this? <laughs> you know, it's like, are you, are you kidding me? Why is this this TV? Why does it cost like $4,000? I mean, I got I, you walk into a home or anywhere. And if you saw a CRT or some a traditional style TV sitting there going, holy moly, what's this guy? And you know, what that belongs in the recycling plant. Um, so it, 4k is a hot topic of discussion. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take over. It's just fun and exciting. You know, really the people involved in it are thinking about how do we get 4k to the people, you know, um, big applications are for like, uh, iMag event entertainment, you know, it's super cool in the infrastructure broadcast world. The big thing is moving video over to IP, uh, infrastructures, uh, and, in our industry today, you have a camera, and if you want to get it back to a recording device or output monitor or switcher or whatever, you have a cable that comes off of it. There's been a big push to get things over an Ethernet or network cable um, and maybe switched on you know, HP or Cisco switches versus traditional routers. So th- there's some interest there, new things. What I think that is kind of more... I, what I think is going to be most interesting moving forward is really the compression technologies. I actually kind of going back to one of the things that a CTO said to me was the pushing the having the, the really smart folks out there, the, the mathematicians, creating these uh, compression algorithms to give us content in smaller formats with higher quality. 
you know, web platforms like uh, HTML5 that have embedded, you know, video adoption policies so that it's easier for us to go on the internet and see video and active content and things like that. That's that's all of this conglomeration of um, compression codecs and how, how they're getting video content to smaller mobile devices with less, you know, horsepower, processing power to be able to see nice content. I think what is interesting there is that it's technology that's pushing more content and thus creating more media production outlets. It's, it's very dynamic. Yeah, I think that's interesting in reference to what you were saying before because I, I see some of the stuff that's coming out with the 360 video cameras and the GoPros and that sort of thing. And, and it goes back to to not try and get, not get too caught up in that stuff because, as you said, it's a tool for a job. It's a tool you pull out of your toolbox maybe when you're going surfing. One of the manufacturers I deal with had, had a special guest uh, seminar, and this gentleman happens to be uh, one, he's the lead creative producer for the recorded content for uh, Saturday Night Live. So I got to listen to him speak. And even though the manufacturer brought him in to talk to people about a camera he is using happens to be built by this manufacturer because they want to sell product, it was interesting to listen to his message because he was actually talking to both dealers and our customers and about all the tools he uses. Mm. It, the widgets that are like 12 bucks that he found. Uh, the, the one that sticks out in my mind is he, uh, to give you an idea how these guys think, he, first of all, he's fairly young. I, I think he's like maybe mid thirties, upper thirties, but he found this uh, LED stick in some store in New York City, and the LED stick, uh, you know, was battery powered, and it was just—it was literally—it looked like a, I don't know, a lightsaber sort of deal, mm. but it had little LED panels on it, and they could flash different colors, and he could just kind of—he could, and they would flash at different times. Well, he he used his you know video te- brain and said. Well, I can adjust shutter rates on my camera, Iris, and I can take this LED stick and I can flash different LEDs at different ways, and then I can have somebody stand over, you know, under a street lamp and wave this LED stick, and my camera can shoot it, and it can actually output text messages. So it's this really cool, like, visual effect. Well, this LED stick was, like, 30 bucks. He was shooting it on his iPhone, mm. and he's there... And this is content that got put into Saturday Night Live. Having that seminar about a year, year and a half ago, I mean, you could probably go out and watch now Saturday Night Live and see where you're going to see this LED stick that somebody's waving and a message going across. Now you know how they did that. Fascinating. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, thank you for having me. Hopefully people learned a little bit something <laughs> about, about the media technology coming down the pipeline. Or just got bored to death. No, (laughs) no, not this audience. Media on the Radio is recorded at Arlington Independent Media. For more information, visit arlingtonmedia.org. Please subscribe on iTunes to Media on the Radio, where each week it'll send the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you. It's so easy. A lot of people have been giving me great feedback through email and in person, and I really appreciate it. But if you can just go to the iTunes page, find media on the radio, and just give us four or five stars or six or how many ever, you know, that they have, whichever the top number is. And then write a little description about why 
and how media on the radio has helped you in your life. It's changed your life, and it's one of the best podcasts, not only on the topic of media, but just in life. So, great. Thanks.